Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Voice of Adoptees, which brings together diverse and unique voices from around the world to share their stories. If you liked today's episode, remember to give us a like, subscribe, and leave a review. Here's your host, David Shunk. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to another episode of Voice of Adoptees. Today, we are here with Rebecca. She was originally from Baltimore, but now living in beautiful LA. Welcome to the show, Rebecca. Thanks, David. I'm happy to be here. Excited to chat with you. Absolutely. So are we. So why don't you go ahead and tell us a bit about yourself and what you do? Of course. So like I said, I live in Los Angeles. I am a registered dietitian nutritionist. I actually specialize in uh, working with people who are struggling with their relationship with food and body and also working with adoptees. So I've been in the the eating disorder field for about five years now and recently started looking more into the connection between being adopted and having struggles with eating and struggles with body image. And so that's my current niche and I'm really pumped about it. I've only been in LA for five years. Prior to that, I was in New York City for six and I went to college in Chicago and I grew up in Baltimore. So I'm hitting all the top spots in the United States. (laughs) Pretty much every city. <laughs> yes. Do you have a favorite so far? Oh, yeah. I'm really, I'm an LA girl. I just think it's so cool to live here. And it's so different from the East Coast. You said you're from New England. And I feel like yep. a lot of the states on that side, you just, they you, you get to go up and down. And, but the landscape is really similar. And the cool thing about LA is like, I can go to the beach. I can go to the mountains. I can go to the desert. I just love that. That's so cool. Yeah. So let's talk about your adoption story. When did it start and where did it start? I know we know you're originally from Baltimore, but what's the what's the details behind it? Yeah, I think I I guess you could say it started in Baltimore. My my bio mom, she is originally from Pittsburgh and when she went into labor, she she was actually on the east coast of Maryland, and it was I was a really premature baby. So when she went into labor, they had to airlift her from the eastern shore of Maryland into a higher higher trauma like center in Baltimore City. And so because it was also like last minute and rushed, my parents got a call like, "Hey, there's a baby girl. She's here in the NICU. Like she's." She's a little bit sick, but, you know, she's yours if you want her, if you want to come, like, check her out. And, yeah, that's that's how that's how I was adopted. <laughs> I can go into more details if you want. I just wasn't sure how much backstory you wanted. We'll, we'll go into that in a bit. I definitely want to talk more about nutrition because you make that very well known about yourself. I know you, you connect with nutrition a lot. And I guess we can start by how did you get into nutrition? Yeah. I it's kind of a funny story. I was working in nonprofit marketing and event planning in New York City and I had just gotten my first job and I didn't really have any friends and one of my coworkers was like, "I really want to join the gym. Do you want to join the gym with me?" And I said, "Sure," cuz honestly, I just wanted to be her friend. I wasn't really into working out or doing anything and I remember the 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 guy like gave me a tour of the gym and he was like, "What are your goals?" and I said, I don't know to get healthy. Like I, I've like never been in here, but I started to get really into fitness and and working out. And I started getting into running and doing 10ks and half marathons. And 
once you're in the fitness community, I think it kind of nutrition just naturally comes up. And so I started reading more about nutrition and getting really into it. And then I found myself getting super distracted at my job because all I could think about was nutrition and my workouts and planning them and, you know, cooking for people and baking for people. So at that point, I was feeling super unfulfilled in work and decided, I think I want to go back to, I think I want to switch what I'm doing. And I debated, you know, do I want to be a chef? Do I want to be a food writer or a food journalist? And do I want to be a registered dietitian? And ultimately chose the RD path because I was really interested in the science and still fascinated by the science behind it. And so that was the way that, that had like the most science background. So that's what made me, you know, go back to school on nights and weekends. And, you know, I was in classes with people much younger than me taking organic chemistry and biochemistry and all of those things because the path to be an RD in, in the States is, is quite long. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, I've heard you mention organic chemistry and biochemistry. Total random fact, nothing about adoption, but well, I, in some ways, I guess it kind of is. Uh, about my adoptive parents, uh, they're both veterinarians, and they always told me the hardest courses they had to take were organic chem and biochem. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that was brutal. But yeah. I mean, I didn't have any science background in college. I only stud- I studied religious studies in Spanish, so I had to start from the very beginning. Wow. But when you're doing it later in life, when you really want to do it, I find that, like it's easier than those classes that you're in when you're 18. Right. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah. So when did you realize that nutrition started to really impact your adoption and how that connection, I guess, between nutrition and adoption play out in your life? Yeah, I think, well, the the one thing I will say before I get into like the, the work connection is that I've always had, I've always been a really adventurous eater. And I've like, I'm someone who can taste a lot of different flavors. And so that has been something that that I've, you know, kind of been known for in my family since I was a little girl. And when I finally reconnected with my bio mom, she actually told me that she's a wine sommelier. And so I was like, Oh, that's super cool. Like maybe I got that, you know, my super taster palette from from her, or at least in some part genetically, because it it was that was just a cool that was just a cool connection that I made. And I, I felt like, that that was a like a helpful tidbit to know. But in terms of the nutrition and adoption connection, it was actually really recently because I, you know, like I said I've been working in the 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 field of eating disorders and mental health for about 5 years now and so became really really interested in how trauma impacts our relationship with food and body, but it wasn't until I started thinking about my own adoption more deeply that I I realized that obviously adoption is trauma, but also that that trauma definitely impacts us and how we relate to food, not only when we're children, but as we get older, because, you know, I've been to different support groups and sitting in in a circle at an adoptees connect group. And like every person there is struggling with food or body in some way. So I knew it wasn't a coincidence and definitely upon reflection realized in my own life that you know, not having any genetic mirrors or biological mirrors made it a lot easier for me to get sucked into diet culture and to to get sucked into nutrition because that was a point of connection for me and my family and, you know, just a, a way for me to feel that belonging that I really desired. 
yeah, no, that that makes sense. You know, it's crazy that to think that something like a food disorder and eating disorder could impact even adoption because people who have, you know, these conditions, it comes, it stems from everywhere and it just proves that anyone can have one. And, you know, Mm -hmm. that's, that's okay. You know, someone probably, I feel like everyone kind of has like some weird thing with food anyway, whether it's a issue or not, like, you know, it's just, I don't know. We're all human beings, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. And like there's there's that social component and that environmental component, like you said. But if you're struggling with an eating disorder of any mental illness, there's also that genetic component. And so when you don't know your family history and you don't know if other people in your family struggle, like then you can't necessarily like set, set yourself up for for avoiding that it, what you don't know. Right. Yeah. No, that, that's that's exactly right. Do you believe that adoption fuels eating disorders? I believe that disconnection from our body is the primary driver of eating disorders and trauma and PTSD is well documented to contribute to to the development of an eating disorder. So those things are inherent in being an adoptee. So I guess I would say yes, but for each person, it's so individual because the the way that the way that your environment and your family responds to those things can have a big impact on whether or not you you develop you know a clinical eating disorder or where you or whether or not you just struggle and and maybe you get help early on like it's just so it's so environmentally dependent as well yeah okay does that make sense uh- yeah, it, it does. I see where you're going at that. Because, of course, not every person who's adopted is going to develop an eating disorder or struggle with food. Right. Uh, that's understandable. Yeah. But I guess what are some warning signs that someone should look for, I guess, in general, that they might have an eating disorder, even if they don't even know it? Mm, that's a great question, because I would say most people don't don't realize that they're struggling because of the way that the the illness affects your mind. The first thing that I always talk about is how much brain space is food, exercise and body taking up. So if you're if you're thinking about that, if you're ruminating on it, if you're overthinking about it for the majority of the day, that's a pretty good sign that something is off that you might want to to explore that relationship a little more. I know that was certainly the case for me. I was completely obsessed with nutrition and exercise and fitness, thinking about it, reading about it all all day and all night and watching food shows and following food Instagrams and and trying to like consume all of that content. And I actually thought that that was normal at the time. I thought that's what that's just what it takes to be a healthy person. But now that I'm, you know, in this field and and I consider myself recovered, I know that that's actually not normal. And I, you know, you're not supposed to be thinking about food and your body and weight and exercise 24-7. It's actually just one part of you and not the whole you. So I guess that would be my main indicator. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's very helpful. Thank you for that. Of course. (laughs) For answering that. You mentioned in a post, and I quote, I found that in my eating issues. I was both desperately trying to find myself while also hiding from myself. Can you elaborate on this? Absolutely. Yeah. My deep dive into fitness culture and nutrition in New York City 
it was really helpful for me because it gave me a community. It gave me a sense of belonging. So I was trying to figure out who I was and the identity that I was developing was I'm the nutrition nerd. I'm the health nut. I'm the healthy one. I'm the runner. And that was a really easy, easy identity for me to assume because it was, there was a clear blueprint of what to do. Like, here's how you eat healthy and here's how you train to run a half marathon and you wake up and this and that. And so I was, I was able to be a part of that community and feel that sense of belonging. And at the same time, that obsession with fitness and nutrition and spending all my time on that was really convenient way for me to ignore my feelings and not really process anything like more deeply that was going on with me. And so that's why I say that I was trying to find myself while also hiding from myself because, you know, running and, and nutrition, it was a really great way for me, for me to subconsciously manage my anxiety and my, my feeling of, you know, I don't know who I am. I don't know what I am. I don't know how to handle these feelings. And so when I started healing and when I left that fitness culture behind, that's when I started feeling a lot of things and having more space to unpack you know, how my adoption impacted me. Yeah. Wow. What are some ways you help adoptees promote healthy eating habits? I think the first, the first thing I do, whether a person is adopted or not, is ask them what healthy means to them, right? Because healthy is, is such a, a word that we use all the time. And now it, to me, it's basically meaningless because one person's definition could be totally different than another. But I think if I had to, if I had to summarize, it would be working with an adoptee to help them understand how did their adoptive family shape the way that they relate to food and their body? And how did that, how, how was that honoring or not honoring to how they were feeling inside? Which I guess is a little bit vague. But what I mean is that like, sometimes in our families, if we don't, you know, if our bodies don't look like our, our adoptive parents, then we're maybe encouraged to eat less or encouraged to eat more or encouraged to eat foods that are unfamiliar or encouraged to not eat foods that maybe are our cultural foods. So trying to, to make those connections and realize that like, you were disconnected from your, your culture and your lineage and your ancestors, and you were taught to eat in a very specific way and taught to relate to your body in a very specific way. And that might not be feeling good right now or anymore, but we can make a whole new way. You know, we can figure out what feels good in, in your here and now body. Yeah. So say you were an international adoptee, you know, we use, we can use my, uh, myself as an example. I was adopted from Russia. Say I, you know, figured out along the road I had an eating disorder and then I found my biological family and they were really, really skinny people, right? Do you think I would look at them and think that maybe they, ha maybe it's not an eating disorder and I'm just skinny or how would an adoptee approach that subject once they find their biological relatives? Mm, what a complex question. Yeah, I know. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's okay. I think, I, I think... So someone's body size doesn't necessarily tell me anything about their health or whether or not they're struggling. So in this example that you gave, like I 
would definitely want to know more information about your biological family, like how, how is their health? How is their relationship to food? You know, what is your body lineage? Does everyone in your family have that same, you know, body type and stature? And are they all healthy, you know, in terms of healthy in terms of like physically healthy, mentally healthy, like they feel content, like they feel good. And let's say all of those things were true, but you were still struggling with your relationship to food. You know, I think that would make a lot of sense, right? Like that's the first thing I would normalize it, right? Your, your, your body, your, it makes sense that you're trying to, you're perhaps trying to make your body look like the body of your bio bio family. But to be honest, it's such a complex question. That's only one explanation, right? Like you could have, you could have, you could have developed that, that for a whole number of reasons. Like maybe you were struggling with PTSD or maybe you had some trauma or what it could have be anything. Like, I think I'd, I don't want to give too much of a black and white answer. <laughs> no, that's perfectly, perfectly fine. That's understandable. I know it was a pretty far fetched question. So it's all good. But you did, you did mention body lineage, and that leads us into our next question. On Instagram, you talk about the concept of body lineage. Can you please explain more about that for our listeners? Yeah, of course. So body lineage is something that I talk about with my clients in wanting to get a fuller picture of their genetic disposition for a certain body size or body type. And with my clients who aren't adopted, especially, I would say it, I mean, it affects all humans, but many people come into my office and they're, they're very uncomfortable in their current body and they want to change their body. Usually they want to lose weight or, or be smaller. And talking about body lineage, lineage can be hugely helpful because I ask them, what does the body of your mom and dad look like? And what are the what about the bodies of your aunts and uncles and your cousins and your siblings? Like, what is that full picture like? And by getting a deeper understanding of that, we can normalize like, hey, like your body actually looks like the body of a lot of the women who have come before you. And just kind of starting that conversation around what if this is the body that you're meant to be in? Or what if this is your the shape that you're you know destined to have? Now, with adoptees, that's so much more complicated because many of us are cut off from that body lineage. So whereas other people can answer that question or can look back at photos, most of us don't have anything to look at. And that's, that's yeah. deep, deeply disorienting for ourselves when we're growing up and also as adults, especially like obviously the teenager year the teenage years when you're going through puberty are a difficult time for anyone but for adoptees like you have no roadmap of what to do like personally like I'm you know a lot hairier than my adoptive mom and I struggled a lot more with acne and so those things were just yeah. not things that she really knew how to address and that I felt really seen because I couldn't see those aspects reflected in her so I think body lineage is is really important to bring up because adoptees feel, I've noticed, a lot of shame for struggling in eating. And so many of us struggle with our eating. But when you think about all the all the layers of disconnection that we've experienced, it just makes so much sense. Wow. I do have a follow-up question. How does identity play a role into body lineage? You talk about, from your last answer, 
you know, body lineage is important because we associate that with our relatives, you know, that maybe we never knew. And then we finally get to meet them and we get to learn a little bit about our, about them and about ourselves from it. And how body lineage, you know, relates to an eating disorder. But when we think about identity, and that's another big topic of, you know, the adoptees struggle with, how does body lineage help or hurt identity um, with when it, when it comes to body lineage? Hmm. I think that the answer is probably going to be different for people who are transracial adoptees and international adoptees. I think I want to be really sensitive to that because there's a whole layer there that that I can't speak to since I was I'm white and I was adopted into a white family. I think it's both. Like you can if you're struggling with with knowing who you are, then understanding the concept of body lineage and perhaps if you're a person who's found your family, seeing your traits or your or your body composition reflected in them can be really healing. And there's also a lot of grief there because you don't have, you never had that identity building piece in your life. At the same time, if you haven't, if you're not able to connect with your, with your body lineage, or let's say you do and people, maybe, maybe your family looks very different for, from you for whatever reason, I feel like that could have a, also like an intense impact on your identity because I know for me and a lot of other adoptees, like we, we are, well, I'll just speak for myself. Like I was really hoping when I, when I found my bio parents that there was going to be this like very reassuring feeling of home when I looked at their faces and saw their pictures. But I personally don't think I look that much like either of them. So that also left me kind of disoriented and confused. So like that wasn't a that wasn't a helpful part of my identity building because I was like wait, what? Like that I don't look like them and they don't look like me. Like <laughs> shoot, that's not that's not what I was hoping for. <laughs> yeah, wow. Okay. Well, thank you for answering that. What are the effects of disconnection and how can adoptees reconnect with their body lineage? Yeah. Well, I think the, the effects, the effects of disconnection are going to be different for every person. If I had to generalize, I would say it's a difficulty being in your body. So difficulty feeling your emotions or sensing whether or not you're hungry or full or uncomfortable or in pain, having a tendency to having a tendency to disconnect from yourself also makes you more vulnerable to things like people pleasing or working, you know, working excessively or exercising excessively, just like overriding those internal cues in favor of being connected to other people, which makes sense from a survival point of view. And I think if you're, you know, if you're in a family where you you feel very different from, from your adoptive parents and siblings, that the disconnection that you feel from your body because you don't have any genetic or bio mirrors can manifest in trying to make yourself into whatever it is that they are, which can mean, you know, 
exercising more, exercising less, eating more, eating less, trying to move in the same ways, trying to eat in the same ways, even if it doesn't feel good for you inside. Yeah, I think I'll stop there. So even if it doesn't, yeah, if it doesn't feel good, you're recommending you got to basically stay at it. Oh, no, 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 no. That's not that's not what I was saying at all. (laughs) I'm saying I'm saying that that when people feel disconnected, what usually happens is engaging in behaviors that don't feel good inside. So like, oh, yeah, no, we want to avoid that. Okay. yeah. Yeah, like, um, I'm trying to get I'm trying to give an example like this is a this is a very surface level example but my bubby or gra- grandma she used to encourage me to eat all of my broccoli and even if I was really full she would be like have another bite have another bite and like wouldn't really let me stop eating the vegetables until I finished all of them and that was the only way that I got dessert so yeah I would be really, really full and I would be eating my ice cream after my broccoli. And I remember that did not feel good. Like I have memories of being really, really full at my Bubby's house, but I really wanted the, I really wanted two things. One, the pleasure of the ice cream that I knew was at the end, but also the not wanting to feel the conflict that came from me saying no to my grandma. Like I couldn't say no to her. I was just a kid and like she was, someone that I loved and wanted to be connected to. So in that way, like that didn't feel good in my body, but that just kept me disconnected from my body because I wanted to to be, I wanted those other outcomes. I hope that makes sense. No, that, no, that does. That, that, that's awesome. Thank you for that. That's definitely, you know, it's so just so important what you're doing and something that people, you know, we have to deal with food every day. So you can imagine that if we develop or get an eating disorder, that's going to be a big part of a struggle for us. And it's helpful to have people out there like you that are, you know, in that field and trying to help. And that's just great. Thank you, David. Yeah. Oh, no problem. As I promised, we're going to go talk more about your adoption story. So, you know, we already kind of dove into it a little bit, but where are you at right now in that journey? Have you found all the information that you wanted? Uh, have you reconnected it or where are you at right now? Yeah, great, great place to start. Have I found all the information that I wanted? I I would say no, but I don't know if I'm gonna be able to ever get there because where I'm at where I'm at right now is I've I reconnected so my my bio mom and my bio dad, they are not together. So I reconnected with my bio mom in 2021. So that relationship is still pretty new. And we're, she lives on the East Coast. So we don't get to see each other very much, but we do text and send pictures and we have met in person once. It's really hard for me to navigate, like, develop, like developing a new relationship with somebody that it's just like very strange. Like I, I just feel like the whole thing has been very strange and difficult. Like I wish there was a, a guidebook, but you know, there's no, there's no handbook on like how to meet your mom, <laughs> but she doesn't have any other biological children. So I'm the only one. And on my bio dad's side, he, he ended up having three additional children. So I have two half brothers and one half sister. 
they are also on the East Coast, and I've never met them. And my bio dad was just a little more like laissez-faire about the whole thing when I when I met him. He shared with me that it was like really surprising that I reached out to him because he hadn't thought of me, you know, in 30 years or or something like that. And so I think he's less interested in in developing a relationship. And that's kind of how I, I that's kind of how I perceive it, which is challenging for me because I think I was hoping for more of a I was hoping for more of a desire to connect. So it is it's it's a little bit sad that that he, that's not where he's at right now and that's also not not where my half siblings are. You know, I'm I think they're about 3 or 4 years younger than me or maybe even 5 years. So they're in their late 20s. And I grew up without any siblings. I was the only child in my family, so I've I always sort of had this dream of like oh my gosh, I'm going to finally have siblings. I'm going to meet my siblings. And unfortunately, it has not panned out that way. And I don't know if we're, you know, going to have a, a, a beautiful sibling relationship. But to be honest, I don't even know what that is because I've never had siblings. So I don't really know how to do it. Right. But I mean, all of this is so early. Like we're in 2023 and I started that whole journey in April of April, May of 2021. So I feel comfort in the fact that like, I hope that I have a lot of time to figure out where I want to go yeah. and like relationships take a lot of time and work too. Right. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I was thinking when you said how I'm trying to see, I'm trying to describe this in a way that it sounds correct. So I don't like, you know, miss say it or explain it incorrectly, but you made a really good point about setting boundaries, but not having like, all positive, I guess, outcomes in your head playing at once. It sounds like you approached your adoption story and your reconnection with your biological family by saying, you know, it is what it is. And I don't know. And you said, I don't know what it's going to be like because I just don't know. And my, th- my question to you is when you don't know something or you don't know, you know, some information about your family or, that you wish you had, or you're just curious about, how do you make yourself, you know, say it's okay that I don't have that? And how do you not resist like that temptation of wanting more? Mm. To be honest, I don't think that I resist the temptation of wanting more. I think I have to allow myself to feel angry, upset, and disappointed that you know, I'm not, I don't have the same information as somebody who was never separated from their biological family. And I think it's healthy to feel the the anger and, and the grief there because it's not fair. Like, it's just not fair that I had to spend money on multiple DNA tests and go through a lot of heartache to finally find somebody on my paternal side. Like it just, it was so much work and so much harder for me. So I think I, you know, if we had this podcast recording next week, like I might even give you a totally different answer. Like sometimes, sometimes I feel like I do a really good job of like being able to sit in the suck and say, yeah, like be- being adopted sucks today. Like I'm, I'm having a bad day and I'm feeling all of the, all of the impacts of that disconnection, that separation. And then other days I'm, you know, more grateful and hopeful. And it just kind of, 
comes with being able to ride the waves of everything that happens and recognizing that I can't go any faster. Like, although I would love to have a, a deeper and more meaningful and fulfilling relationship with everyone in my bio family, I have, you know, I have a husband and I have a job and I have friends here and I have so many other people that I want to pour my relationship energy into. And I have to be thoughtful of like where I put my emotional energy. So try to give myself compassion around all of that. Yeah. So you said that you located and you met your biological mother once in person. How did that exchange go and what was the outcome from it? Yeah, we, so we finally met in person. I met her and her husband after about almost a year of exchanging emails and text messages and phone calls and video calls. So at that point, it felt like a good time to, you know, initiate the next step of of the relationship, the in-person component. When we finally got to our, like, place where we met in Las Vegas, I was very, very anxious, like much more anxious and nervous than I had anticipated and just felt like very overwhelmed by the all of all of the emotions that had been leading up to that. And it was pretty awkward. Awkward is probably the 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 best word to describe it. You know, like I said before, it's it's even even though I, you know, had been talking to her for a year, it's still a really new relationship with somebody that I had not known for so many years and had so much to learn about. And it was a lot of time that we spent together. So it kind of went back and forth between like awkwardness and emotional exhaustion and finding out really fun, cool facts that we connected on. Like, for instance, we were sitting in the lounge watching some sports game. I think it was basketball. And my bio mom was like, "Ugh!" like the sound of sneakers on the basketball court is just like my most hated sound. I hate that so much. And my partner looked at me and I looked at him and I was like, holy shit, like that's my, that's the sound that I hate the most. Like what? Like those, just a couple moments like that, that were kind of wild to me. But I think it was just overwhelming and awkward and intense. And I I really, really tried not to have any expectations. But even though I told myself for, you know, months, like I don't have any expectations, no expectations. I think I was disappointed by the amount of awkwardness and and just I had I had wished that maybe it was a little more easeful and a little more natural and it still you know bothers me sometimes when I see moms and daughters or dads and sons in coffee shops and they just look so comfortable and relaxed and I'm like what about me I don't get that yeah, but we are uh, to the the outcome. Of, you you mentioned I forgot to mention. Yeah, we're still we we talk. You know, we talk pretty often, and we're still developing our relationship. We haven't seen each other in person since then, but hopefully, sometime at the end of this year. You think that relationship with your biological family is going to improve overall in the next coming years, or are you just d- taking it one like month at a time and seeing where things are? Yes. I I am taking it one one day at a time, baby steps. I think it I think it will improve because I will. I don't want to use the word improve. I I think it will improve because I will be constantly working on myself and constantly 
working to understand myself better and know myself better and manage my my feelings and my expectations. And I really believe that like the more comfortable I am with myself, then the better I can navigate all of these difficult relationships and situations. So because it's just a long winded way of saying I have faith in myself. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes that's all we need, right? At the end of the day, we just need to believe in ourselves, and somehow we're going to figure it out. Yep. I have one final question that I like to ask everyone, and it's the big one. It's what advice would you like to leave to our listeners today with? Hmm. Eat our peas. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm not. I'm not the kind of dietitian that's going to end on a food-related note. I think. No, I know. I know. <laughs> the the advice I would give is to. Oh, it's there's so much I want to say. One allow yourself to feel difficult feelings, whether that be anger, grief, or disappointment, and allow yourself to speak your truth and say and share your story. That's why I think that that this is so important, this podcast, and, and it's just allowing us to build connections with each other. And, you know, I didn't speak really about being adopted until, until I was but yeah, until I was 30 years old. So that's a lifetime, basically, because I'm almost 33, a lifetime of silence, keeping all of these thoughts and feelings and confusions inside. And my therapist always says, you know, the truth will set you free. And that is something that I wholeheartedly believe is just like, saying your truth, writing your truth, sharing your truth, posting it in a Facebook group or support group, like that, that is my biggest advice. (laughs) I mean that, you know, something as little as that really can change someone's life. There are so many people we've already interviewed here on this show alone that said that, Hey, you know, this is my first time being interviewed on a podcast and this is, or this is my first time actually really thinking and talking about my adoption. And it turns out it, it, it helps a lot of them because they've never been able to have this connection or maybe just the ability to be heard, you know, because sometimes they might be in a um, adoptive family that, you know, being as open as they wanted to be may have not been encouraged. Absolutely. So we really, yeah. So we allow ourselves to just come here and we talk about it because it all begins with organizing and just letting people know where we are and who we are. I think that's a big, big, big part of who we are is, you know, our identity and how we identify and where our story began and everything around it, you know? <laughs> yeah, David, we, we all deserve like safe spaces to be heard. And that's why I appreciate this so much because I already knew from listening to past interviews that there was, there's no, there's no judgment. Like you're just allowing us space. And that's what we need because so many of us were not given space or even silence. So it's super powerful. I agree. Yeah. Yeah. And I've, I've learned to not talk as much during these about, <laughs> about uh, after five episodes or so, my team said, David, you're doing great. But long pause, if you could just let them talk a little bit more. <laughs> so i said yep loud and clear (laughs) so that's that's the rule the more the 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 more that you're talking and the less they hear from me that's that's the goal because we want to give you as much time and space and 
you know, whenever you want to come back anytime, you're always welcome here. And again, I want to thank you so much for taking the time out of your day and coming to us and speaking to us about not only your story, your uh, advocacy work and your amazing work with eating and figuring out eating disorders and just trying to figure all that together while still being a proud adoptee. That's impressive and it means a lot. And you're another example of someone that is just being who they are and they're not scared to show it. And I think that's, that's really amazing. And I think people are really going to love to hear your story and I can't wait. And you can hear that story at voiceofadoptees.com and on all of our podcasts hosts from Spotify, iHeartRadio, Pandora, and of course, Spotify. Uh, Rebecca, it's been an absolute pleasure to have you from beautiful California in LA, hopefully. We're becoming a movie star maybe on our off time. We'll see. But thank you so much again for coming on and just being who you are and sharing your story. I really appreciate it. And our listeners really appreciate you. Thank you, David. Yeah, it's it's been awesome. And, you know, I just want to say one last thing before we go, which you said, like, you're not scared to to be who you are. This, I'm only here today because of a lot of deep work I've been doing for the past two plus years. And if you had met me like three years ago, I would not have been able to do this, speak about this, to be, to even have my Instagram and to do this work. So I guess I just want to say like, thank you. That's great. I've really been trying. And if you're where I was three years ago and you are scared to be who you are, there is hope. You can get here. Absolutely. And there are many different avenues for resources out there and support groups and so there are some really good therapists out there. Absolutely. Whatever journey and whatever style of help you're looking for, it's out there and we'll be with you every step of the way and always here for, you know, to listen to your voice on Voice of Adoptees. Thanks for stopping by, everyone. That was Rebecca. Tune into her show. We are so happy that she was able to join us tonight and we look forward to having someone else on the show. If you're interested, drop us a line and visit our website voiceofadoptees.com. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Voice of Adoptees, who am I? Thanks for listening to Voice of Adoptees. Please take a moment to like, subscribe, and leave a review. See you next time.